Good morning. You know, I was just uh, sitting here meditating this morning. Do you know how many times the word remember is used in Scripture? Over 200 times. Now, not all of those times are God admonishing his people to remember, but a large portion of them are. And I think that command applies to us as well, to remember what God has done. Look at Scripture. Now, here's my question. How do we know what to remember? Anybody want to take a shot at that? How do we know? He tells us to remember. How do we know what to remember? Somebody wrote it down. Okay? That's the only way we know what to remember. Somebody wrote it down. Do you have any idea how many things God has done through this body in the last year? Probably don't remember, do you? See, you're getting old like me. I don't remember either. I feel like it's time for someone to take on the responsibility of a scribe and keep account of what the things God has done so that we can remember and give glory for what he has done, not just in Scripture, but with us. That's important for us to to realize and remember the things that God's done in our midst and through our body and and through the prayers that he offers up here. And so I want to just encourage you to just ask the Lord, you know, about am I the one to keep a record of all of this stuff? And we'll help you remember. And uh, But I just think that would be an awesome deal to be able to say, this is what God has done, and we want to remember that and give honor to him not just what he did in Scripture, but what he did through us and in our midst. Does that make any sense? I think that'd be cool. All right. Um, Matthew 6. Karis worked the sound this morning, so we didn't have a chance to do the Scriptures. So you're going to have to use your old Bible or your phone. Matthew chapter 6. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room. I think the King James says secret place. Go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. process there. Read it again. When you pray, go into your secret place, close your door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees 
what is done in secret will reward you. That's a pretty cool verse. And we've been talking about the secret place for several weeks. And before we get into the mechanics of it, and we're going to cover quite a bit about that, I want to share with you some of the things that I have gleaned from time in the secret place. And things that not only I have gleaned, but that other people have gleaned as well over the years. And I want to say to you this, if you will embrace the experience that takes place in the secret place, if you'll determine to push through when the fear of silence raises its head and press in when the voices of distraction try to destroy, draw you from there, if you'll determine that this is not just going to be a I'll try it and see kind of thing, and if you'll embrace the reality that life is only found in Jesus, thus the phrase, where else am I going to go? Where else am I going to go except in the secret place because that's where the Father is? You may find out, if you will do those things, you may find out that this Christian life that has become so boring and predictable may all of a sudden be filled with wonder and anticipation. And I think if we did a scale of how do you rate your this Christian life? Is it something that you look forward to or is it just mundane? Same thing over and over. Well, I, I believe this, I believe that, so I must be a Christian. And it's just kind of boring. Well, I want to tell you something. If you learn to capture the experience of the secret place, it will be filled with wonder and it will be filled with expectation. You may discover that this thing called the Christian life will become much more than just a list of things you can't do and things that you're obligated to do and fulfill in order to be a good Christian. Every time I hear that phrase, good Christian, I just want to scream. It's kind of like saying, I want to be a good human. You can't be a better human than you are. You're either a human or you're not a human. You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. And this misconception we have that we have to do all this stuff in order to be a good Christian completely misses the whole idea of the work Christ finished in us. Experience in the quiet place, experience in the secret place, we may come to realize that this Christian life is much, much more than just a list of things you can't do and obligations you must fulfill in order to be a good Christian. You may, come, you may truly come to enjoy the Lord and experience what it's like for him to enjoy you. Ask the average Christian, do you believe God enjoys you? 
Well, I don't know. You know, I've had a pretty bad week. Do you think the Lord enjoys you? Well, I don't know. You know, I, I just, I, God enjoys being with us, and he wants us to enjoy being with him. You may come to discover that God really is there in that secret place. He says he is. It says the Father is in the secret place. Why do you go to the secret place? That's where God is. Now, I know he's in the universe, but for you, he is there. For me, he is here. That's where we meet him. And if we will embrace that, we may come to the realization that he is there, that he shows up in the most tender, loving, gracious way. And he's not somewhere else doing stuff that's bigger and more important. You'll find out God's there in the secret place. It may stop being just one more religious exercise and become a wonderful time of loving and being loved. So often the Christian, we talk about quiet times and the secret place and the, and the quiet place and all of those things. And it's so easy for those things to just be something we do to be a good Christian. Something we do to chalk that off. If we'll embrace the reality of this, we may come to realize that it's not something we do to just chalk it up. It is something we do because in the context of that experience, we experience the wonderful love of the Father and the acceptance. You may come to the point that you're able to ignore voices that scream to you that this is just a waste of time, that may just try to convince you, this is not for you, this is for other people. And you may begin to hear his gentle whispering call to come deeper with him. You may discover, and this is so hard to get our mind around, you may discover that beholding him will produce more personal transformation into his likeness than all the discipleship courses and Bible studies you've ever been a part of. That seems, that just doesn't seem right. We, we, we do this stuff in order to become like Christ. We study the Bible, we go to this course, we take this course. You might find out that time with the Lord in the secret place will produce more of Christ's likeness in you when you didn't have to work at it to get it done than all of the other attempts at godliness that you've done because that's what he promised. You'll behold him. He'll transform us from glory to glory. You might discover that you really do have something to share with the rest of the body instead of just reaping the benefit of somebody else's secret place.
I don't have anything to share. I can encourage you that as you learn to be quiet and still in the presence of him, you will come out of there from time to time with things to share to edify the body. Out of that time spent with him, you may find out that the fruit of the Spirit is something that grows out of that experience instead of something you just cut and paste and try to apply it to your life. I read the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, I need to work on that. Yeah, I need to, I need, I need to, I need to, I need to be more patient. That gummit. I need to be more loving, more kind. I need to be more kind. I'm going to focus on being kind. And what we may find is that the fruit of the Spirit grows out of that intimacy with the Lord and is developed in our life just like all fruit does. You can't make an apple. You can't make a peach. I've tried. I've got a bunch of trees, and I go out there, and I berate them. They just don't produce. It doesn't work. There's nothing you can do to make it happen except abide, remain in his presence, and that fruit will grow out of our life, not because we had to work on it, but because we were in his presence. You may discover some things about the Father that you haven't been able to embrace as true before. You may discover some things about the Father that you just you hadn't been able to get your mind around it before. One of those things might be the realization that he really loves you. Listen, the best way to know God loves you is to experience his love for you. We've tried so long to convince ourselves by something we read or something that's written, God loves me, God loves me. I want to tell you the best way to be convinced of God's love for you is to experience his love for you firsthand. In that time of intimacy with him, you may come to realize he really does love you and he really does want to be with you. You may come to realize that he's not mad at you after all. He's not upset with you. You may come to realize that he's not going to spend all that time with you pointing out everything you've done wrong. That's our idea of getting right with God, going to God, is going to God and saying, all right, let me have it. Tell me everything I did wrong. You're going to find out that's not God's heart in that time. His heart is to demonstrate his love you may come to the realization that he knows where you've been all along and has loved you all along, even in the foreign country. You don't think the prodigal father knew where his son was? I do. I think he knew exactly where he was. 
He loved him while he was in there. No question about it. He loved him. May come to realize that he is welcoming and accepting and not there to express disappointment with you. Who wants to be in the presence of a God that's just going to nitpick everything I've done? Who wants to be in the presence of the God that's got this scowl on his face that says, oh, it's you. I was expecting Justin and got you. I was expecting Billy Graham and, and got you today. We see God is disappointed in everything that we do. You may learn to hear his voice and found out it's not accusatory, it's not judgmental, it's not critical, and it's not condescending like you may have thought it was. But it's tender and gentle and loving and inviting and gracious. And here's why. He knows that's what will heal our heart. Criticism doesn't heal anything. Judgmentalism doesn't heal anything. It just reinforces the bondage that we're in. That's not the Father's heart. He's there to demonstrate to us how much he cares for us and loves for us. You may find out that the Bible is not just a rule book or an instruction manual, but you may find out it is a living conversation between you and the Father. That you can sit there with it and you can say, wow, God, that you, that's cool that you said that to me right there. And you can go back to him and pray to him and thank him for all the things that he's done out of that. It becomes a living conversation and not just something that you look to to find out how you're supposed to act or what's going to happen to you if you get it wrong. You may discover that living in the awareness of God's presence in everyday life, and I'm talking about at your work, I'm talking about at your, in your family, I'm talking about in everything that you do, you may come to discover that living in the awareness of God's life in all of those things is really possible because you have become familiar with him in the secret place. You've learned to touch him. You've learned to know his presence. Well, my mind is so busy during the day. Listen, thinking on God is not being in his presence any more than thinking about your wife makes you married. There's an awareness that's there that God wants us to live in, that he's here today. He's involved in this thing. He is aware of what I'm going through. He is aware of what I'm experiencing. And I can tell you it will become much more familiar to us if we've learned to be aware of his presence in the secret place because we know how to go there. We don't have to go, hold on, i got to go somewhere and pray. Hold on, I've got to go to this building over here and have this worship service. Hold on, I've got to go back and start over. I know what it's like to live in the awareness of his presence in everything that takes place in our life. 
may find out it was worth it after all. You may find out that giving the energy and the time and the effort to go to the secret place was worth it. It was never a waste of time. I want to show you something in, in Psalms 91 as we read some of this. Because in Psalms 91, he talks to us about the secret place. King James says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. The New American Standard said, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. All this takes place in the secret place. Here he is glorifying the Father, worshiping the Father, praising the Father. I will say to the Lord, Lord, you are my refuge and you are my fortress. That's part of what takes place in the secret place. Remember the dance of admiring and honoring and worshiping one another? It takes place as we're invited. We honor the Father. Lord, you are my refuge. You are my fortress. You are my God in whom I will trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will come to understand that it's not your faithfulness, it's not your performance that brings God to protect us. It is his faithfulness that brings to protect us. And that gives us confidence in the Lord, in his care and protection, that it's his faithfulness that's protecting me. It's not my ability to dot all the I's and cross all the T's. And as I soak in his presence, that becomes real to me. Boy, I'm not here because of all the stuff I've done. I'm here because God is faithful to love me. And I carry that into my life. I carry that into my decisions. And look what he says will happen. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. Look at this. This is phenomenal. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made me, the Lord, my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. Look, look at it again. You have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, for nor will any plague come near to your tent. Listen. I love this, this, this picture here. Basically what it's saying is that you will be able to observe chaos, you will be able to observe confusion, you will be able to observe danger without investing yourself in it. And that's what gets us, that's what fills us with stress. So many times we're stressed out over things we have no control over or we're stressed out over things that really don't apply to us. And God says, you will not be a participant, you will be an observer. 
Chaos will come. Confusion will come. But you don't have to invest emotionally because God is your protector in that. He is your defender in that. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your way. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, therefore, this is God's response. Because he has loved me, therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. The benefits, the consequences of dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. You'll be covered, not because of your faithfulness, but because of my faithfulness. All of those things. Now listen, trust me when I tell you and trust the testimonies of others who have discovered him in the secret place. I am not overselling this. If anything, it is an understatement. I am not just trying to manipulate you into doing something that you don't want to do. I am trying to say to you that there is a tremendous wealth to be found in the secret place because that's where the Father is. It's there for all of us. It's there for whoever's willing to go into the secret place and close the door, because that's where he's at. That's where he lives. It may come to the point that our Christian life is no longer shouldas, couldas, wouldas, have tos, ought tos, and become I get to. I get to. I get to be in his presence. I get to live in his love. I get to live in his favor. I get to do that. And all of that comes from for him who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Does that make any sense? I mean, I, I'm just giving you, a, it's kind of a personal testimony here. Every one of these things has at some level been realized in my heart since I discovered the secret place. And I've had others of you tell me similar instances where that has happened. Now, Father, you know. You know where we are. You know what's taking place in our heart and our mind. And we ask you to draw us to yourself. We ask you to dry up everything that we attempt to replace for you. Thank you 
or being in that place that we can bear your presence and be conformed to your likeness. Thank you, Father. Make these real in our life. Make these real in our heart. That coming to you would be our life, would be our existence. And we bless you for what you're going to do. Thank you, Father. Any questions? Anybody want to add?